0: cities we've come to you from but tonight it is the home of nascar it is charlotte it is wcw monday nitro live on TNT. hello everybody i'm eric bishop along with steve mongo mcmichael and pepper and bobby the brain heathen and if we got a show for you tonight in the main event it is going to be sting hulk hogan teaming up to take on Aaron Anderson and Rick Flair. What's up with Hulk Hogan and Sting? I don't know what's going on there, but Hogan better watch his back because Sting is partnered up with Lex Luger, their best buddies or something. I don't know, but get to your closet. You see the little guy's got his leather on. Put your leather on. You're gonna see some mean and nasty boys tonight.
1: Your perspective... Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. We're going to see some big and nasty boys tonight, so we've got our leather on. Don't worry about that, because we are ready for our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast partner, Dave Amentorp. Dave, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. I like... Excuse me. I like a, a very begin when they're mentioning all the cities and they've been to a lot of places for Nitro. And this is one of them. <laughs>
1: it is indeed one of them. It's Charlotte, North Carolina, the home of NASCAR. And we are here on December 11th, 1995 in front of 4,500 fans, 3,900 of whom paid for a gate of 38,000. And that is one of our best uh, paid to total audience ratios that we've had so far. Want to remind everyone before we get to the action that you can find us uh, over at piledriverwrestling.net, where we are a proud member of the OSW Podcast Network. You can find us all over social media Facebook at slash uh, 20 years of podcast, Twitter, where we are at 20 years of nitro. And we would love, love, love if you emailed the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com.
2: And this nitro has like. Probably the most unusual start that I think I've watched so far.
1: Uh, How so? Uh, this is. Oh, the, yeah.
2: Yep. When the announcers are, are talking about Hogan and Sting versus Ric Flair and Art Anderson. Behind them, the bell just rings and a match starts. A match like breaks out in the <laughs> middle of Nitro.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We get our normal uh, announcers talking. Pepe is wearing leather biker gear. Bobby, once again, after taking a week off, uh, flicks off the camera under the guise of scratching his face. So, this is definitely some inside joke he's doing with somebody in the production truck or something. And, uh, yeah, as Dave says, uh, a bell just suddenly rings. And the camera (laughs) cuts to the ring where Mr. JL and Eddie Guerrero are ready to get underway. So, uh, okay. Uh, I mean, I want to see that match, I I suppose. (laughs) Starts off with JL uh, hitting a shoulder block on Eddie, uh, but Eddie coming back with a clothesline. Eddie plays to the crowd and gets a small Eddie chant going. So the crowd, as we've mentioned in past uh, recent times we've seen him, crowd really getting behind young Eddie Guerrero. Eddie gets a springboard moonsault uh, that misses, but he manages to land on his feet and avoids JL with a leapfrog before catching him with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker in a very exciting Segment of moves. I know that sounds like me just rattling off things, but when you see it live, <laughs> uh, this it was it was really exciting and and uh, a real highlight at the beginning yeah. of a match.
2: And I'm pretty sure that pretty early on, uh, Eric Bischoff mentions that Ed Guerrero is going to be one of the wrestlers that's representing WCW for Starcade.
1: Indeed, as we mentioned in our last episode at Starcade, coming up later in December, we are going to get a uh, WCW versus New Japan Pro Wrestling as kind of the foundation for that pay per view. The matches are going to be a best-of-seven series, which they are calling the World Cup of Wrestling. And the full uh, match listing is going to be, and I apologize ahead of time for any Japanese names I mispronounce, <laughs> uh, Chris Benoit versus Jushin Thunder Liger. That sounds like a great matchup. I'm excited. Yeah. Alex Wright versus uh, Koji Kenemoto. Lex Luger versus Masahiro Chono. Johnny B. Badd versus Masa Saito. Eddie Guerrero versus Shinjiro Otani. Randy Savage versus Hiroshi Tenzan and Sting versus current uh, United States title holder Kensuke Sasaki in a rematch between the two, though the U.S. title will not be on the line. It's just a part of this World Cup of Wrestling uh, event that they're having.
2: Yeah. And so we have now confirmed that Lex Luger and Sting will be doing at least double duty because they're in the triangle match with the Nature Boy Ric Flair. So Ric Flair has the uh, advantage of not having a previous match.
1: Right, which I guess makes sense given his torn rotator cuff, but and the fact that he's a heel, so that that all kind of oh, makes right. sense actually. Um, but and as as we alluded to last week, that means that it is in theory possible that Sting could do triple duty on this show. He could wrestle Katsuki Sasaki if he then he's in the triangle match. If he wins that match, then he wrestles Randy Savage.
2: Or we could see Lex Luger wrestle three times at one night. Oh <laughs> boy.
1: Ooh. Ooh, how dare you? I it blocked out from my mind that that was even possible. <laughs> right.
3: You mentioned not Sting only would as if like th- that
1: was a holy option. <laughs> not only three times, but we would see him and Macho Man again oh. in a pay-per-view main event for the heavyweights. Oh god. I I Man. mean You got I was, me like, afraid to watch Starcade now because I'm I, I don't remember what happened, so I'm
2: You would think the fans would just like they would just leave because oh, they've seen the match so many times.
1: Back to the match, Eddie hits a slingshot somersault senton, which is fun to say. Bischoff warns any uh, New Japan pro wrestler uh, who thinks that Eddie will be a cakewalk or a rice cakewalk, for that matter. <laughs> yep. So, who? all right. It's going to be that kind of thing, huh? <laughs> right. And he, uh, reminder, he is the babyface announcer.
2: <laughs> I mean, he, he says it as if, like, it just dawned on him. There's this clever... Way to spin that. (laughs) He's like, oh, right, or rice cakes, right?
1: Heenan reminds us of what he said last week, that the New Japan guys are already in America and they are training in the Smoky Mountains, which, by the way, if you're curious, is not true. Uh, They are still (laughs) over in Japan putting on events. And in fact, the opposite is true in that some of the WCW guys are actually in Japan. Uh, You may have wondered, and in fact, I know that you have wondered uh, audibly on the show, why Chris Benoit is often not out with his horseman brethren. Yeah. He's over in w, He's over in New Japan mm-hmm. uh, working dates for them as part of the talent exchange because they love uh, Chris Benoit over in Japan. He was there before he came to WCW in the first place.
2: Yeah, I I, I was kind of figuring that was going to be the reason and I was just hoping that you were going to explain it so I didn't have to <laughs> just guess.
1: Eddie gets JL in an abdominal stretch for a bit. JL does some uh, kind of fancy flipping around arm drags it's, I love those moves and you see them a lot in in indie and, and kind of Lucha Libre style where they're doing a bunch of crazy flips and somersaults but ultimately the move they're hitting is just an arm drag. <laughs> right. He then uh, comes off the top rope and it looks like he was going to go to a Hurakarana or or something but it gets botched really badly. Uh, so Eddie just catches him and kind of carries him around awkwardly to the corner and then can't think of anything else to do with, with JL in that position so he hits like an inverted atomic drop but JL... Had no idea that's what was coming, so he just kind of crumples to the ground instead of <laughs> selling it like you normally do. Uh, and we've seen this a few times in in matches, specifically with JL. Um, he's good. I like Jerry Lynn. He he has a lot of great matches throughout his career, but maybe it's the mask. I haven't I haven't really put forth that theory before. Yeah. Um, but it could be the mask. He he just for whatever reason, even though he does some really cool stuff in his cruiserweight matches. He is the most prone to botching of any of the cruiserweight guys that we see on a regular basis. Jail takes control and puts Eddie up on the top rope in the corner. He then hits a springboard dropkick from the first uh, rope, which also turns into another nasty uh, botch because his his rope hits the second rope on his way up for the dropkick. But luckily, he has so much momentum that he keeps going and and manages an okay-looking dropkick. So it almost is quite a botch, but it ends up all right. And Eddie falls all the way out uh, to the outside and back against a metal guardrail. Uh, And you can see on the other side of that guardrail, some middle-aged moms look completely shocked that the action got so close to them. Mm -hmm. Like, at first, they're like, oh, oh, my. And then when they see that, like, he's still alive, they they laugh like, oh, he's right here, Marge. Like...
2: I, I thought I thought at some point when he did that, I think the guardrail hit one of the one of the ladies in the knee. Oh, that could be. And so it looked like that she was kind of like wincing from that.
1: And you were at a uh, Ring of Honor show with me where that happened to me. Yeah. Where the guardrail hit me in the knee so goddamn hard, it <laughs> right. really, really fucking hurt. <laughs> so he, yeah, I, if that's what happened, then yeah, I could definitely <laughs> empathize with that lady. Jail runs down the apron and launches himself at Eddie with a flying flip. Uh, He rolls Eddie back in the ring and gets a two-count. Bobby says if he were Eddie, he would just turn JL's mask around backwards and then start peppering him with punches, (laughs) which is actually a pretty good strategy. (laughs) JL gets a delayed vertical suplex for a two-count and then a very hard, uh, good-looking stiff dropkick in the corner. He whips Eddie towards the other corner, but before hitting the turnbuckle, Eddie... see if I can describe this uh, accurately. Eddie grabs the top rope and kind of kicks himself back over JL... Um, in that spot that you see a lot where guys just sort of grab the top rope in the corner and jump backwards over the guy running at them. But in midair, he kind of turns around and gets jail on a body scissors and flips all the way around or rolls all the way around and hits it into a sunset flip. Uh, so if that makes any sense hearing me describe it that way.
2: I got it. <laughs>
1: well, you've seen the match. <laughs> no, that's true. Jail manages, though, to roll through the sunset flip and holds up Eddie's legs in a pin, and J.L. looks like he's going to try that pin, I don't know the name for it, where you've got a guy, you're holding his legs, and then you kind of flip over him. So you're holding his legs then, and you're kind of in a bridge, almost like at the end of a Northern Lights suplex, kind of. Uh, but instead, Eddie manages to counter that into a cradle, and that's what gets the the pin, is is that uh, surprise cradle. So <laughs> suffice it to say, if all that sounded complicated and you didn't get it, the, the basic fact is it's one of those... Uh, parts of a cruiserweight match where there's a lot of pin reversals. Yeah. Only in this case, one of the pins actually ended the match. Yeah. Which you almost never see. It's usually a bunch of crazy reversals, and then they go on wrestling. But this time, it it actually stuck.
2: Yeah. My note just says, a series of pinning counters. Yeah. (laughs) I probably should have stuck with that rather than try to
1: describe them. Eddie uh, talks to the camera, but we can't hear it, which kind of brought to mind a question for me, which is why have we never seen a promo for Eddie or any of the cruiserweights? Uh, So I made a list of the guys who have given promos on Nitro. Okay. You've got Hogan, Sting, Macho Man, Lex, Jimmy Hart, Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, Brian Pillman, Arn Anderson, uh, the Giant, and the Master of the Dungeon of Doom. That's uh, it? Yelling about the Yeti. That's it. Those are the only guys that have talked, and most of those guys talk, give give multiple promos throughout the past 15 weeks. We've never heard one from... Eddie Guerrero. We've never heard one from Dean Malenko from Uh Disco Inferno. Disco kind of talks to the camera while he's getting kicked off for dancing. Right. Um, (laughs) But we never, you know, there's a lot of uh, Hawk who can, Hawk can talk. He was the talker of the Legion of Doom. Yeah. But he never talks. So there's a lot of guys who just are not, I mean, it's a one hour show. I get that. Mm -hmm. But Eddie is getting over with the crowd purely based on charisma and wrestling Imagine if you let him talk. We all know Eddie Guerrero can talk. Yeah. I don't know how good he could in 95, but he's not going to get any better if you don't let him do it. Yeah. You know, so.
2: Or even like Johnny B. Bad after he got the Diamond Doll. um, Yeah. To kind of, I mean, if you didn't see the pay-per-view, he could have kind of explained it. Or like Diamond Dallas Page. People that are having feuds that continue feuds onto Nitro, really sometimes aren't given the chance to talk, and you're just... uh, having announcers explain stuff to you i mean
1: think about this we the only time that we've seen lord steven regal was in the interactive nitro where he was in the back of the heel locker room having like tea and crumpets or whatever right he's one of the best promos in the business for my mind
2: yeah and i think really and a really good wrestler too and
1: we haven't seen him do either one (laughs) you know it's ridiculous we go to the aisle where Lex Luger is standing with Jimmy Hart and uh, these two exchange a really awkward high five <laughs> before Jimmy Hart starts cutting a promo, putting over how great Luger is, uh, which then we get to, to actually see some clips of Luger's recent work. And then uh, we get a little Lex Luger promo. And because I so hate you, the audience, I'm going to subject <laughs> you to that promo now
4: all right i thank you very much gentlemen with me at this time is lex luger the total package looking awesome this holiday season he's joined by the mouth of the south jimmy hart jimmy hart who who dresses you spike lee or spike jones you know i mean gene why don't you do what you do best and that stand here hold the microphone and keep your big mouth shut let me tell
0: you people something baby lex luger i know it you know what I mean, Gene, and millions of people all over the world know that Lex Luger is definitely the uncrowned WCW Heavyweight Champion of the world, baby!
4: I'd have to say, by the sounds of things, this guy, that the bicycle chain snapped on him. Let's go back to Halloween Havoc. Right there, Lex Luger, you had the Macho Man in the rack. And again, at World War III, you worked over the Macho Man.
5: Every time we meet the so-called world champion, first time he was in the rack, The next time I had you, Macho Man, I could have taken your arm right off your body if it wasn't for my friend Sting, who saved your behind. And then, Macho Man, and then it came to Monday Nitro, and if it wasn't for your good friend, Hulk Hogan, to stop the count, I would be standing here right now, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. So when it comes to Starcade, here's how it goes. Macho Man, I own you. I know it. Dimmy knows it. Everyone out there knows it. So you're no problem. Ric Flair, 11-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion. And I know we see eye to sometimes, and sometimes we don't. And then it comes down to Sting and I. Stinger, we're very good friends for years and years, and we've talked. Very recently, we've talked. As a matter of fact, and we know this is probably come down to you and I. And if it does, may the best man
4: win. We're talking a triangle match at King That happens on December the 27th, live from Nashville. Eric Bischoff, back to you, my friend. So, Dave,
1: uh, who is your favorite uh, promo guy in Wubble UCW? <laughs> <laughs> mind Mindflex Luger.
2: <laughs> God. He's an WCW. Wubble UCW World Heavyweight Champion. And I'm, he's I'm good friends with Sting.
1: When you see, like, uh, a cartoon that's doing an episode that has a pro wrestler and he's just doing a promo where he's just shouting. Yeah. This is the promo he's giving. <laughs> yes. It's just like Sluger just shouting. <laughs> and most of it, most of it uh, makes sense. <laughs> right. I mean, he does say, Wubble UCW. And then at the <laughs> end, he really kind of hits a wall where he starts going, Sting, we've talked very recently. Ho, ho, ho. We've talked. It's just like, <laughs> all right, dude, you gotta, you gotta cut out because you're <laughs> losing right.
2: it. I like the part where he's like, "Nature Boy Rick Flair, eleven-time WCW champion. <laughs> sometimes we see eye to eye, but sometimes we don't." <laughs> and that's it. That's the only thing he has oh, to say.
3: Oh man! All it right. is.
2: I mean, when it started off, and Gene Oakland said he was looking awesome this holiday season. <laughs> I thought that was going to be the goofiest thing we are going to hear, but yeah. no. <laughs> you know, when you were saying earlier about how like guys like Eddie Guerrero and Dean Blanco don't get the chance to talk. Right. Well, I mean, if they just look at how guys are using this time to oh, talk. Oh, man. It's like, how could Eddie Guerrero be any worse than that?
1: Yeah, and not only that, but this is nothing that wasn't already kind of said during the Luger-Sting joint promo last week right there's really not a lot of new ground here
2: there's no new ground here
1: (laughs) all right so then we get a commercial and as we come back uh disco inferno comes out and he's added just a tiny little detail but as he comes to the ring he now does like the two-handed points towards people in the crowd like hey there you are (laughs) and uh, i I like that i was i appreciated that he added another little layer there is a hilarious shot of the crowd where a bunch of the guys are disco dancing, and there's this one fat older dude sitting in the front row with his arms crossed and this sourpuss expression on his face, and he just looks around at everyone else in scorn, and you can just hear the homophobic slurs going through his mind at that point in time. Like, this guy's probably been going and watching wrestling for years, and he remembers, like, he's just, you know, Harley Race wouldn't have put up with this bullshit. (laughs)
2: Harley Race is like the perfect.
1: (laughs) At this point, Bischoff decides to share with us uh, his thoughts on Disco Inferno, and I'm going to drop in a little audio clip of that right here. terrible
0: menage a trois in just a little while, but we've got Disco Disco Inferno. Can this man dance, huh? It must be jelly because I've I've never seen Jam Shake like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean he care he, he only cares about one thing in life his booty and his
5: hair. Yeah yeah yeah. And I don't
1: know what's uglier. Eric those are two di- those are two things. <laughs> he can't care about only one thing in his life his booty and his hair. <laughs> and he worked really hard to get that line in. Yeah. He kind of starts like this guy only and, and then Bobby starts singing and he like holds on to it like oh I, this is a good one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I- I don't know exactly what the phrase that Mongo was going for, but yeah, yeah, uh, jelly yeah. jam. I don't know.
1: Disco's opponent is going to be Paul Orndorff, uh, who comes back out to his hilarious theme that we have played uh, a little bit of in pre- in the last episode he appeared in. We haven't seen him since.
2: Um, at, at one point, Heenan insists that the, that the female singer yeah. in this song is actually Gene Oaklin.
1: Oh, that's right. uh,
2: While while he's sitting (laughs) on a 40-pound block of ice.
1: Yeah, I actually have (laughs) that written. And then I have also that Mongo uh, goes, don't bring your family into this. And Bobby says, uh, Gene isn't a part of his family. And Mongo (laughs) goes, I was talking about the block of ice. (laughs) Is that funny? Like, I mean, it's funny in a bad way but is that like is there a reason why saying that Bobby is related to a 40 pound block of ice (laughs) I guess that's kind of funny it just it was really weird I was like I'm not sure if that's a good joke or not I honestly can't tell (laughs) Uh, Orndorff has kind of added another layer into his entrance as well in that he has a much bigger mirror to look into than last time and he now also sings the hell out of his theme song as he walks so he just periodically belts out some of the lyrics which is pretty funny Disco attacks uh, Orndorff before he can get his jacket off and loads a series of punches. He hits some kicks in the corner and uh, checks his hair. He more kicks. Uh, he hits some more kicks on the fallen Mister Wonderful and then he disco dances. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, then gets an Irish whip into the corner with and some more dancing. Uh, but when he tries to go for a splash, Orndorff uh, manages to elbow him in the face and then he gets himself back into the uh, match with some punches. And at this point, Bischoff says. Paul Orndorff is world-renowned for those left-hands, if you know what I mean. Yes. When someone says that someone else is world-renowned for their left-hands, I I generally feel like I know what they mean. (laughs) Until they say, if you know what I mean. And then I start wondering if, like, Paul Orndorff is famous for, like, finger-banging with his (laughs) left-hands. Like, what the fuck do you mean, if you know what I mean? That's, of course, he's famous for punching people. When you uh, say it like that, it makes it sound like there's some sort of subversive meaning.
2: I, I What I got from that is it's in reference to Orndorff's fight with Vader.
1: Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I mean, I you, guess I'm glad I don't have to think about Paul Orndorff finger banging anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, if, if our listeners remember, in the very first episode of Nitro, Vader was supposed to appear, but he did not. Um, I believe we brought it up at one point that that Vader um, got into a backstage fight um, with Paul Orndorff and then did a no-show.
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Vader left the company after that incident with Orndorff. That was kind of the final straw for him there. So you're right, you're right. It's much more likely that that is uh, (laughs) what was being referenced uh, by Bischoff there. Orndorff hits an inverted atomic drop in an elbow to Disco's face uh, before driving his head down into the mat. He comes off the ropes and does his own uh really weird-looking little dance in mockery of Disco. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. It's yeah. very strange. <laughs> before he drops an elbow right on Disco's throat, he then hits a side suplex and gets uh, the 3 count.
2: He gets a 3 count and then puts his foot on the rope just cuz.
1: Yeah, he, he yeah, he puts <laughs> his feet up on the ropes extra leverage but disco is out cold <laughs> right there is it does it does nothing but yeah. i you know i guess uh heels a heel yep so the 40 year old paul orndorff who mostly works actually as a behind the scenes uh agent for wcw now has victories on nitro over johnny b Bad, their current television champion who's a young up-and-coming star mm-hmm. and uh, disco inferno who's a fairly brand new young up-and-coming star yeah
2: and also, Johnny Babad was the just one of the number one contenders for the U.S. title the night before. Yeah. So, Orndorf is like, he's getting these wins in situations where he clearly should not be winning these matches.
1: Yeah. The only reason I think he, he picks up this win is because uh, he figures into the storyline um, that we're going to get to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it starts now as uh, the next thing we see after this match is Mean Gene, who brings out the available horsemen which is Flair, Arn Anderson, and Brian Pillman, right. uh, as Chris Benoit is over in Japan, as we mentioned. And Gene asked Pillman what it's like to be a horseman, and in the following audio clip, he will tell you. As
4: you know, a little bit later on tonight, right here live on Nitro, it's going to be the Nature Boy and the Enforcer squaring off against Hulk Hogan and Sting. Before I get to that, though, client Brian Pillman, come on in. What is it like to be a part of
3: the horseman along with Chris Benoit? It's a chance of a lifetime to be a part of the greatest dynasty in the history of professional sports. Everybody on the planet wanted to be a horseman, including the top dog, the Hulkster. He wanted it so bad. He chucked the prayers, the vitamins, and the training. Adorned himself in black. He played the bad guy. But when the whiskey-drinking, skirt Jason lemon rotten got the best of them, he ripped off the black spandex and threw it in a burning trash can. Well, Hogan, we don't have the luxury of ripping our black hearts out of our chests because we are the bad guys. But I still want you to know, I love you, man. I'll give me a break, Move please. Come on, Gene, don't cut me off. The American Males sent Slick Rick Double A, eight by 10 glossies of them and Steve McMichael. Can't comment on their content, but I'll say this, McMichael, for a big guy. You're pretty flexible.
4: <laughs> okay, what, what's the you point? Mean, well,
3: the point is, you want the Dungeon of Doom? Yep,
4: do you audition? wanna talk? No, I don't want the dungeon at Dumont. No.
3: Yes, you? no. Yes, no. Yes, no.
4: <laughs> Talking about the Zodiac, man. Everybody and, was... And, but let's not
3: forget about the guy that just wrestled. Mr. Wonderful, who was once Horseman Material, had the killer instinct, would cut your throat for 50 cents. Now, he's not a member of the Horseman. He's a member of the Psychic Friends Network. He's spilling his guts to Gary Spivey and Dion Warwick for $4.99 a minute. You know, I don't know. This, this, Please, you're getting a, carried Bring away. the focus back to the Athletes. Yeah. As
5: well, Double A would say, yeah. let's pause in all this. It's the enforcer. It's flying Brian. And it's the Nate Shemar! from your hometown. In Charlotte, North Carolina. And tonight, when Hogan and Sting walk that aisle.
6: They're going to meet up.
4: Hey, 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 hey. I'm
6: sorry to interrupt you. I have the utmost respect for you, Rick, and you, an Anderson. But let me tell you something, you snotty, those little punk. Let me tell you what's really happening. The fact of the matter is, Pillman, I could have been a four horseman, and that's the only reason
5: that you are. Paul, oh, the fact is you've reached a high level of mediocrity.
3: Oh, LeBron, hold it a minute. Listen, Paul.
0: Wait a minute.
3: I know you got a bad temper. We don't want this. Not we don't here. want another other Mike, temper. Like having a few months He was a man's man.
4: Uh-oh. Take it easy here, please. Let's let Cooler Heads prevail.
3: No, no, wait a
6: minute. Cooler Heads is here. You got this snotty little, little punk up here running his mouth about me. Let me tell you something, Pillman. This is a fact. If you like carrying people's bags, if you like suffering, the four horsemen around, this one's gonna then blow I guess up. that Not makes either. you a horseman because that's exactly what you're doing. You shouldn't even be one, and the only reason this you You're gonna escalate.
0: But, oh, oh. you're gonna get it up. There it goes. Get him oh, Oh,
3: don't and the do this, Paul. Just
0: you got going. the horseman. You stepped into that den of snakes. Break them up. Get them out of there. Get security down here. This <laughs> is the wonderful stuff, but 3 on one it just ain't going to happen here. Oh, you mess with one horseman, you mess with them all. It's that simple. No. Oh. Right in the solar plexus. a cheap suit well Orndor should have known better than to come out here and get up in their face Ah, oh, rick flair you talk oh, about a no. cheap shot artist that got him on the hard floor
3: oh no 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 What's no he's sending no, him? No.
0: He send him up for a no. big drop oh, oh, my no. oh no oh no oh, they they... Him... the two of them drove his head into that hard floor let him you know, wait a minute. Just. I know about neck injuries, and Orndorff is not moving. This does not this this does not look good. This does not look good, gentlemen. If the top of his head hit that floor, all those nerves are gone in his neck. I probably, I've seen this on the foot. He's not moving his arms or legs. I've seen this on the football field. Oh, I don't like they better to look get at him this. some help. I don't like to look at this at all. He is not moving a muscle. Right. Look, at his mouth is wide open. We're we'll try to make some sense of this. this happened yesterday in the cincinnati game big daddy Wilkerson
1: right. it came up on a- so as you can hear pillman uh put over being a horseman he talks about uh hogan when he was wearing black was playing at being a bad guy but they are the bad guys uh so that i, I kind of like that line he also they- claims that the american males uh sent the horsemen 8x10 photos yeah uh, to try to get them in he also implies that Mongo is in the photos and that he won't comment on their context, but says that McMichael is very flexible for a big guy. <laughs> so that's ominous. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: I like, uh, up until the point where he starts kind of going off the deep end and mentioning all these random people. Yeah. The promo was like phenomenal.
1: Yeah. It was very good. And then you're right. It goes off the deep end. He does like, uh, impressions of all the guys in the dungeon of doom at
2: one point. Yeah. Uh, the- the one particular part I I wanted to point out because I thought it was really good was because uh, he said that at the end Hogan couldn't stay in the black and he he but he could take it off, but Brian Pillman and the Horsemen they cannot pull out their black hearts because they're they're bad guys through and through yeah and it's just uh, I feel like this is like the real big opportunity he's had mm-hmm. to to stand out as far as a person that could talk and he gets a little bit into this the character that kind of that's going to really slowly be building because he just like goes off the deep end and starts talking about like all these random people like like the stable the dungeon of doom was in a join the stable the horsemen and stuff like that and right like, so
1: and you can tell that uh the other horsemen aren't specifically seem a little uncomfortable with where he's going with all this at times yeah Pillman then switches over to running down Paul Orndorff and says that he once was Horseman material, but now instead spends his time with his friends from the Psychic Friends Network. Oh, yeah. Um, which we had referenced before Orndorff had kind of found his confidence again after uh, a backstage segment with Gary Spivey of the <laughs> yes. Psychic Friends Network. <laughs> Maybe maybe we remind
2: you that (laughs) this is something that happened at WCW and was meant to be taken seriously.
1: So Flair then takes over, and he starts uh, cutting a promo on Sting and Hogan, but Orndorff comes out because he's he's pissed off at what he's heard. He says he could have been a horseman, uh, and he has tremendous respect for them, um, but he didn't take his spot, and that's the only reason that Pillman now is a horseman. Uh, Brian shoots back in a pretty good line that Orndorff has reached a high level of mediocrity. Yeah. I thought that was a real good line. Uh, Arn tries to calm the situation down, but Orndorff goes off on Pillman, uh, claiming that he's just there to carry bags and drive the horsemen around. So that then starts a physical altercation. Pillman slaps him. Well, this, they start fighting.
2: Yeah, this is also the part when when Arn is trying to defuse it. He says that Orndorff has a well-known bad temper.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, and, referring again to that, that fight.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and then and then this is again kind of like the Pillman-esque moment where where when things seem like they might be calming down, he just smacks him in the face.
1: Yeah, and at first, Flair and Arn are really just trying to stop the fight. They're not mm-hmm. really, they're not beating down on Orndorf or anything, but then eventually uh, they kind of end up on the ground and Orndorf lays into Arn with some punches, and at that point, it becomes all three of them beating down on Orndorf because uh, that's a step too far. Um, so it ends, it ends up with uh, Flair and Arn hold Orndorf up and Pillman punches him right in the heart and then they, they throw him into the guardrail, they kick him on the ground. and then eventually uh, Arn gets him up in a pile driver and Flair kind of climbs up on the stage and they hit a spike pile driver on Orndorf right in the concrete next to the entrance aisle. And the announcers start selling this as a very serious neck injury. Mm-hmm. They keep noting that he's not moving his arms or legs. Uh, various officials and medics come out to attend Orndorff and we go to commercial as Mongo is comparing this to a player on the Cincinnati Bengals uh, NFL team who had just been stretchered off the field in a game the day before. And I'm that really crossed the line for me. Yeah. Um, comparing this kayfabe injury to a, a real NFL injury that happened the day before where a guy mm-hmm. was legitimately hurt and could lose his livelihood. You know, I, I don't know a lot about that specific player or injury. Yeah. But it just, Mongo, I feel like as a former NFL player, really should have known better than to equate those two things.
2: Yeah. No, I I didn't. I don't think it really served any purpose to, to sell the the situation. And I agree. I felt like it was just like, okay, just there's a, there's a step too far. And that was, to me, like a step too far.
1: And he, he doesn't continually, he doesn't mention any more specific. I think he mentions one other specific guy. But he keeps referring to football players he knows that have nerve damage and neck damage. And right. Just very uncomfortable. Um, when we get back from a commercial, the EMTs are still working on Orndorff and putting him on a stretcher. And Bobby's actually over there watching, yeah. which is always kind of an ominous. You know, usually you see that with legitimate problems where an announcer just leaves the desk to go look at it. So uh-huh. that, that certainly adds to the seriousness that they're trying to play up here. Um, but then Lex Luger just comes out with Jimmy Hart and flexes in front of his giant flame promo, which the camera's tight in on him, but if they would just zoom out, you'd see that Paul Orndorff is lying on a stretcher like six mm. feet away from where he's flexing. Right there, yeah. Um, we get a, cro- a shot of the crowd, and everyone in the front row has like Hogan towels and Hogan foam fingers, and uh, I just want to note that because Meltzer claims in the Wrestling Observer that the first few rows of, at uh, WCW shows are given free Hogan merch.
2: Okay, that makes sense
1: then rejoins the booth and implies very heavily that Orndorff is paralyzed, uh, that he at least thinks so. Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out with a two by four and American flag. Uh, he also just kind of walks by Orndorff, despite being a babyface, and there's a really hurt guy. Yeah. Just kind of walks by and goes ho and fucking waves his flag.
2: Yeah, and there's a part where they, the announcers are trying to sell the severity of Orndorff's injury, and you see. Duggan's mug right in front of the camera and as he's sticking his tongue out. Yeah. And just being a goofy guy. It's just yeah, it's just the whole situation, because it doesn't seem like I mean it seems like they're trying to make it serious, but also like, well, we can't like use up too much time doing this. Right. So it it gets a it's very uncomfortable, I I I think.
1: Uh Hacksaw tries and fails to get a USA chant going. In general, the crowd doesn't seem to like Hacksaw, although they do repeat after his ho, oh, they do repeat that because that's fun. But in general, they don't seem like a pro Hacksaw crowd. Right. Um Babyface Hacksaw starts attacking Luger's back as Luger enters the ring just to start the match. So Luger's just getting in the ring and Hacksaw attacks him, which
2: Flex Luger doesn't get any respect at W He really doesn't. He. <laughs>
1: uh so I I refuse to Call too many moves in a hacksaw Jim Duggan Lex Luger match. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you
2: remember the, uh, the 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 text I sent you when I was watching this?
1: Not off the top of my head.
2: Uh, I said Lex Luger looks like a fucking Mac technician in no. comparison to <laughs> That's Duggan. That's right. That's right. Jim. D- uh, I mean, Lex Luger, you know, is not a great wrestler, but Jim Duggan doesn't look like he belongs in <laughs> in a ring at all.
1: Yeah, Lex can hit a few moves really well. The uh, press slam that he does, you know, and a few other things. Um, right. And he looks like, you know, a Greek god. Yeah. Uh, but Jim Duggan fucking sucks. I I, I know I mentioned this when we saw him previously uh, wrestling Meng on an episode. Yeah. I really, really hate Jim Duggan. Yeah. He's nothing but USA Chance and Ho and... He he's like Hogan, where he just wrestles like a heel and figures like people like me well enough that I, I whatever I do is the right thing. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he's better in WCW, but I remember in WWF he would like never take a clean. Fit. He like he'd never lose clean. Mm-hmm. Like who do you think you are? You're fucking Jim Duggan.
2: Yeah, Jim Duggan's like the wrestling equivalent of like the mascot that shoots t-shirts out at the crowd. <laughs> where yeah. it's like, well, okay, I'll cheer you so I could get a t-shirt, but then after that, please fuck off.
1: So, uh we in the middle of this match, as he's yelling ho and, and doing his little march around thing, we see Orndorf being loaded into an ambulance, which is quite the juxtaposition. <laughs> right. Uh Hacksaw again, again, the baby face, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, yep. tapes his fist up, which is an illegal move that we saw Bubba uh Big Bubba Rogers do in a match recently. So uh apparently that's that's cool, I guess. Not,
2: and not only that, like I'm i I'm just going to pretend that I know that Jim Duggan understands the rules to a wrestling match <laughs> in which he will be disqualified if he uses a tape fist, but he is making such a spectacle because <laughs> he he's whipping it around. I mean, he's making it so obvious, but I mean also Jimmy Hart's doing something really fucking strange on the r- apron too. Yeah.
1: Jimmy Hart's up on the apron and that distracts uh hacksaw getting Lex the opportunity to nail a forearm shot to the head. Uh, he's got remember that loaded forearm with the metal yeah. plate.
2: But but Jimmy Hart he decides to distract referee by getting up there with Hacksaw's two x four. He's oh, just, that's right. He's yeah. holding it, it and it looks like twice the size of Jimmy Hart. <laughs> and so then Luger bumps him in bumps Hacksaw into the two x four, and then when he repels back, it's right into the torture rack. Which I thought that sequence worked really well.
1: It did, yeah. I also like that while he's. Uh, well Hacksaw's up in the torture rack, Nick Patrick notices the tape on his arm and looks just like bewildered. Like, well, how did that <laughs> get there? Uh, but that, uh, that ends the match. Luger wins with the torture rack. And the crowd is actually uh, pretty pro Luger, I would say. He gets a pop uh, at the end of this uh, match. And we see one fan holding up a house that Flair built sign. Ooh. So uh, I kind of. My belief is that the Orndorf thing—the reason he won was so we could be reminded of who he was and why he's important, and and that he could say later that he was somebody who belonged in the Horsemen without you know without sure. us as the audience busting a gut laughing. Uh-huh. Uh, so so that was the reason that happened. And then I think the reason the whole Spike pile driver ambulance, why all that happened was so that Arn and Flair will get booed in the main event when they face Sting Hogan. Sure. Um, but judging by that house that Flair built sign uh, and the fact that they're in Charlotte, the city he's built from, mm-hmm. I don't think anything is going to get these people to boo Rick Flair. Yeah,
2: that's that's a really like weird and I don't think a very successful uh, uh, method of them where they've done it before where they like, try to do things earlier in the show to get you to boo someone that the crowd is not doesn't want to boo. Right. And I don't this idea of like throwing something at them like 25 minutes before the match. I, I, I think it's very short sighted to think that that's going to have such an effect where it's like Ric Flair, our favorite wrestler, right? He did something mean earlier on. So now <laughs> I'm going to boo him.
1: Especially when what he did was essentially an extension of the kind of shit. The horsemen have always done, right. which is what this crowd, that's why they like him. You know, yeah. it really doesn't make a lot of He's sense. He's
2: the dirtiest player in the game.
1: We then get a commercial, and uh, coming back from commercial, me and Gene is in the aisleway with Macho Man, who cuts the following promo.
4: We are back on Money Nitro with me, the WCW World Heavyweight champ, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. You have to personify a working champion. You're busier than James Brown these days. Let me just do a very quick rundown of your itinerary. Coming up in the team competition at Starcade. you're going to be facing Tenzan. Then, of course, you're going to be also meeting, provided you are the winner uh, of the match next week, which we're going to talk about in a moment or two, the winner of that triangle match between Luger Sting and Flair. And, yes, you've got a title defense one week from tonight. Here live on TNT against a man that stands 7'3", weighs over 400 pounds. You know I'm talking about the giant. I get tired just thinking about it. Sounds like Mission Impossible, doesn't it?
6: It does indeed. Problems, problems, how you gonna solve them? One at a time, one at a time. You're right. I'm not even thinking about Star King. I'm not thinking about Tenzon Japanese superstar. I'm not thinking about Lex Luger, the whiner. I'm not thinking about my buddy Sting or the Nature Boy Ric Flair that almost one year ago today hurt my dad. No, I'm thinking about seven days from tonight. Nitro in the squared circle defending the WCW World Heavyweight Championship belt against seven foot four, 400 plus pounds. The Giant, a man so powerful. I've only felt power one other time like that in my career,
4: and that was Andre the Giant. My word, of course, it probably runs in the family. That was just a couple of weeks back. I've never seen a choke slam quite so devastating in all my life, Randy.
6: Well, let me tell you one thing, yeah. When I walk in that ring at Nitro next time It's just what it's gonna be TNT And I'm gonna be like dynamite blowing up in your face Giant Because there is no substitute for victory Oh yeah
4: A man is taking it one day at a time One week from tonight The Macho Man is gonna be defending against the Giant Stay tuned we've got more Nitro in 30 seconds Stick around
1: Dave uh What do you think? That was a pretty standard Macho Man promo. I didn't think anything was real. Nothing hilarious, nothing terrible. Just Macho Man kind of on autopilot, really, at this point.
2: Yeah, I think it was more just to make sure you realize that he was going to defend the title next week against the Giant. Yep. Other than that, also, I think it's just like a reminder that he's a champion.
1: Sure. Yeah, he should have a presence on the show as (laughs) a champion. That makes sense. Uh The other thing I thought that was kind of notable, though, was that he, at the end, he gets kind of a mixed reaction. Mm -hmm. Some people, it's not outright boos, but there are some, and it's not a ton of cheers. So this is a very, again, a very uh, NWA territory. They like, you know, I'm not so much sure that it's necessary. I mean, they love Flair, of course, Uh but I think it's also that they, they don't like these guys from New York, you know, quote unquote. Sure. So I think that's definitely... Playing into to the yeah. reactions here,
2: I but I mean, like we've discussed it a few times that that this title reign of Randy Savage is just booked awful, right? So I I can't blame the fans for not caring about him, as him being champion because we've been told not to care about him being champion because again, it's not the fact that Randy Savage is champion; it's that Hulk Hogan is not champion.
1: Following that promo, we get another commercial break, and as we come back. Rick Flair's music come, plays, and out he comes with Arn Anderson. The crowd uh, absolutely goes nuts yes. for him, so they are not going to be booing this man. That's just not happening. Uh, <laughs> one dude in the front row is just straight up punching his foam Hulk Hogan sign. So that, oh, that sort yes. of goes to back up Meltzer's claim that they were given those for free. Right. He is making a big show of punching his. <laughs> After yet another commercial, so that's three in a, in a very short period of time, uh, Sting comes out, and this is kind of what I guess what I was getting at with the NWA thing. For the most part, the crowd does like him. Uh-huh. He's opposing the horseman. He's Flair's bitter enemy. Uh, but the crowd doesn't boo him, you know. They don't they don't shit all over him. Hulk Hogan, who comes out <laughs> shortly later, however, is a much different story. Uh there's a there are some cheers. I'm not gonna lie and, and make it sound like he's universally hated. Right. But there are a lot of boos. Mm-hmm. Especially it seems like uh, the first three rows around the ring on any side are like full of dudes in their 30s who s- hate Hulk Hogan seemingly. Yeah. They are kind of leading the tide of booze against him.
2: It's, it's like a whole front row of me there. Right, yes. <laughs> People that are, that are conditioned to hate Hulk Hogan and are just like are ready to unleash hell once he shows up.
1: Yeah, and they actually get a Hogan sucks chant, pretty loud one, going uh, before the match even starts. And then when the the chant peters out, they are all just screaming shit at Hogan. They're all yeah. standing and they're all, it feels like, it feels like an unsafe environment for Hulk yeah. Hogan in that building right now.
2: And again, in the fans' defense, when Hulk Hogan comes out, he's doing some pissy complaining because Sting came out separately. Right. And there's this idea that they had to come together or is they're not united. I don't I, I don't get that. Yeah. It's the it's the goofiest like most childish thing to be upset about. So of course Hogan takes it like personally.
1: Arn and Sting start off the match in the ring. Uh they lock up and Ard, Arn locks on a side headlock. Sting pushes him off the ropes and goes for a hit toss, but Arn counters and drops to his knees and hits a little fireman carry takeover that I kind of liked. And the crowd is going nuts. The crowd loves Arn and Flair. They yeah. are eating it up. Arn and Sting lock up again, and Arn gains control, hits some punches and axe handles, as the crowd starts a much louder Hogan sucks chant <laughs> than the earlier one. Sting uh, gets a leapfrog over Arn and a very nice press slam, and the crowd cheers. So again, they're they're fine with Sting, mm-hmm. and they're fine with Sting beating up Arn, uh, even even though he's a horseman. It's it's just Hogan they seemingly have the yeah. the problem with.
2: And just like a little side note, um, Sting, to, uh, Sting on the show is wearing white tights. And for some reason, I, I really like his look with white tights. I agree.
1: Yeah, they're pretty cool looking. Yeah.
2: Uh, so I just, I mean, no, I like that.
1: <laughs> Arn uh, ends up over near the babyface corner and Hogan punches him and then mockingly holds up the Four Horsemen sign. Yeah. Uh, so this leads to Arn demanding that Sting tag in Hogan. And uh, Bischoff claims that Hogan and Sting aren't working well as a tag team because he hasn't seen a lot of eye contact between them. <laughs> Sting has been fighting a man in front of him. <laughs> How is he supposed to be looking over in Hogan's eyes occasionally? Yeah. it's ridiculous. There's nothing other than Hogan seemingly being a little upset that Sting came out before him that would indicate that they are having any problems as a team. That's yeah. ridiculous.
2: If you're just listening to this podcast and not going back to listen or to watch this Nitro... You're missing a lot of Eric Bischoff psychoanalyzing every little thing yeah. that could suggest that they're not on the same page. A lot of it is just if you didn't if he didn't say anything, I would have thought that they are always a tag team, you know.
1: are right. Sting uh, tags in Hogan and I'll I'll actually play for you the audio here so you can hear the crowd reaction to Hogan's first tag into this match. <laughs> Hogan
0: looking for a tag I'm here. Looking for the tag. He's got it. He's got it. And yeah, now Hulk Hogan making his way to the ring. And Center still of the ring. timeout. Still no conversation between Hogan.
1: So as as you can hear there, uh, the crowd is not happy with Hogan coming in. Again, it's not universal, you know, insane booing. But there are, I mean, the main crowd reaction you can hear yeah. are definitely boos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bischoff tries to spin this. As the crowd is booing Arn, who is asking for a timeout, but that oh, yeah. ever, the crowd has loved everything Arn Anderson has done, yeah. so that's ridiculous. And
2: that's also that's like a classic heel thing to do. And if you're if you're into like old school wrestling, you have to like the the guy that tries to call timeout.
1: Yeah. Oh, I always love the guy calling timeout. I think yeah. that's that's a great bit. After calling for the timeout, uh, Arn tags in Flair, and Hogan knocks him down with a shoulder block. They then lock up and Flair starts hitting chops in the corner, which Hogan no sells. A uh, little early in the match for Hogan's no selling, but uh, no selling Ric Flair is what Hulk Hogan does best. Right. Uh, it's actually kind of fun if you listen to uh, the episode of Ric Flair's podcast where Hogan's on. Ric Flair clearly loved uh, wrestling Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Because he just puts on, because of how over Hulk was and how big the reactions were it was really easy work for him because as Flair says on the show, his only offense is chops and woos. Mm -hmm. So he gets in that and then he gets his ass kicked for a while. And, uh, Hogan, you you know, is a pretty safe worker, never hurt him or anything. Yeah. They'd go 20 minutes. They'd wrestle. The reactions would be huge. And then they'd go get a beer. So Flair, Flair loves wrestling Hulk Hogan.
2: Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. You took the break right now to mention this because, uh, Flair's, Seemed like he was a big fan of Hogan no selling the chops too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is surpr I thought would be surprising because that's kind of one of his standard moves. But he loved the fact that he would no sell those.
1: Flair, I mean, the guy's a, a giving performer, so that's I mean, that's awesome. That's yeah that's why he's one of the best. Hogan Irish whips Flair in the corner and he does uh Flair does the like up and over the top rope bump that he always does in the corner. Then he stumbles down the apron and sting kind of Boxes his ears, yes. like he uses both forearms yeah. to like hit the sides of his head, and uh, Flair falls down to the floor.
2: So I the... Re- I really like that combination. <laughs> I did I just, because uh, I typically it's like the other guy either clotheslines or yeah usually out. it's a clothesline. So I was expecting that when he boxed his ears, I was like, all right, that's that's cool, that's <laughs> different.
1: The ref uh, kind of goes over to lean over the top rope and check on Flair, and Arn uses this as an opportunity to attack Hogan from behind. Uh, Sting and Flair fight on the outside, while Hogan completely turns the tables on Arn in the ring because there's no way that Hogan's gonna sell for Arn Anderson for longer than 25 seconds. Right,
2: yeah. He uh, Arn comes in and clips his knee, and Hogan pretty much no sells that. Yeah, at least at the beginning. Yeah.
1: And then Bischoff claims that Sting saw Arn Anderson coming behind Hogan. But didn't warn him,
2: <laughs> which is
1: fucking bullshit. That he's just making shit up out of. Oh him. my god! Eventually, uh, Flair and Hogan, who are still the legal men, get back in the ring, and Flair hits some eye gouges and some punches. Uh, Flair tags in Anderson, who works over Hogan's arm before tagging back in Flair. So they're doing, you know, they keep him isolated in the corner, tagging and out. Yeah, kind of good, good tag team work. Um. Eventually, Hogan finally hits a clothesline and tags in Sting, who comes back in and hits a press slam, uh, and then a drop kick and a head scissors on Flair for a couple of two counts. Sting does the like bridge up thing where the guy is laying with his back on your yeah, stomach and you, the, yeah, you bridge.
2: There's the waistlock pin uh, where Sting kicks out by bridging, then he spins into the backslide. Um, it, this that is one of my favorite like standard series of moves. Like yeah. so many guys have done like the bridge to the turning to the backside, but it looks great. The and bridge
1: out of the pin is such a physically impressive thing to do. Yeah. It just looks really cool.
2: And, and uh, I always like it when it's beat, when the backside's being done to Ric Flair, because he just screams for mercy. <laughs> like it's painful or that he knows what's coming and he can't stop being counted for two.
1: So after that, uh, st- he gets Flair over in the corner for the 10 punches, but after uh, six of the punches, Flair kind of carries him forward off the top rope for an inverted atomic drop. Flair then tags in Arn, who goes up to the top rope, but Sting tosses him off uh, the ropes into the ring and locks on the Scorpion Deathlock. Flare Flair runs in uh, to break it up, and Sting puts it on Flair, uh, but with the ref distracted by a protesting uh, Hulk Hogan, Arn hits a DDT on Sting, to absolute roars from the crowd.
3: Yes.
1: (laughs) Huge reaction. Yeah. Jimmy Hart and Luger show up at this point. Luger attacks Hogan on the outside, uh, running him into the ring post and getting him up in the torture rack. The referee doesn't really see any of this, so it doesn't result in a DQ or anything.
2: He he manages to give him the torture rack (laughs) at ringside with the referee not figuring out what's going on. It's so comically over the top. And Sting
1: doesn't seem to see it at all either.
2: Or maybe he doesn't care, Eric Bischoff. Yeah, have you you thought of that?
1: (laughs) Uh, Luger drops Hogan, and he and Jimmy Hart just kind of run back the way they came. (laughs) So now Sting is isolated in the ring by the heels, and Hogan is writhing on the floor. The heels take turn working on Sting's knee to set up uh, Flair's figure four finisher. Hogan tries to stand but falls to the floor as the front row guys scream at him (laughs) mockingly that he can't stand up. They are they are loving the fact that he's just feet away from them and they can give him so much shit.
2: And also it's obvious that Hogan is doing the looking over to see if it's time to get back onto the apron. Right. And it's just, it's funny cause it's so obvious. And then he like stumbles back down again when, cause it's not time yet.
1: Minutes of the heels working on Stig's legs go by. Uh, eventually Flair does lock in the figure four and Sting refuses to quit and starts dragging Flair back towards the corner and tagging uh, Hogan. Mongo claims that Sting has reversed the figure four, but he hasn't. He's just <laughs> right. moving backwards. Yep. Uh, Sting finally tags in Hogan, but Randy Anderson has missed the tag uh, because Arn had come in and distracted him. Nick Patrick, or excuse me, Randy Anderson sends Hogan out of the ring, and Hogan like pantomimes and asks the crowd if he was tagged in. And all those dudes that hate him just yell no! <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny, and they just act like the tag never happened. Uh, the heels return to working on Sting's knee. Flair hits some chops, uh, but Flair or Sting does his uh, stinging up, or yeah. I, I still don't know what to call that. Uh, Flair goes to the top rope, but Sting, of course, tosses him down to the mat—the classic Flair spot. Flair uh, stops Sting from tagging in Hogan. Um, and he sends in Arn. Sting hits a really shitty bulldog on Arn and uh, finally gets the hot tag to Hogan. Arn uh, immediately hits Hogan with the spinebuster and Hulk's reaction to receiving one of the most crisp-looking moves from a wrestling master technician (laughs) is to no-sell and start hulking up. (laughs) He gets punches and the big boot on Arn. Uh, Flair then comes in and Hogan... Barely touches him with a very weak looking big boot. Uh, but Flair goes down. Hogan hits the leg drop on Arn while Sting hits a stinger splash on Flair in the corner. And Hogan covers Arn Anderson for the 1 2 3 victory. Some fans cheer, some boo, and at least one throws some garbage
2: in the ring. Yeah. And in like 0.5 seconds, Brian Pillman's in the ring. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's in the ring like lightning. <laughs> uh, and he beats up Sting while Flair and Anderson beat up Hogan. And then Luger and Hart run out. And Luger, uh, Luger, it's kind of funny. He stops Brian Pillman from beating up Sting. yeah, But he just kind of points at Hogan like, why beat up my friend Sting when you can beat up Hulk Hogan? <laughs> right. And uh, Pillman's okay with that. He's like, okay, yeah, I can beat up Hulk yeah, yeah, Hogan. I get that. So uh, Lex kind of takes Sting to the corner. And when Sting sees that Hogan is getting beat up, he pushes past Lex to make the save for Hogan. Uh, Lex leave in the Horseman checkout. So now it's just Sting and Hogan in the ring. Macho Man comes running down. And he seems to be checking on Sting if Sting is okay. And Sting just punches him right in the face. <laughs> and it's not like last week when Hogan punched Sting very much accidentally when he was trying to punch someone else. Yeah. There's no one else around. Yep. Sting had plenty of time to see it was Macho Man. He just punches He just decks him. <laughs> Uh, Savage sells the punch, but doesn't fight back at all. And Sting acts like, oh, no, why? (laughs) Why did I just punch that guy on purpose?
2: Um, Also, I just wanted to bring it back a little bit to the the whole Lex Luger part. Yeah. When he he backs uh, Sting into the corner and I think trying to take advantage of his friendship, insisting to him, no, we should let Hogan get beat up. Sting just pushes gently past and then Luger basically shrugged and leaves the ring. Yeah. He, he, he did his one attempt to yeah. stop Sting. Oh, uh, well, I tried. <laughs> uh,
1: so after the punch, Savage ends up slapping Sting, and we see Mean Gene get into the ring. Uh, he's going to try to sort all this out. Bischoff tosses things to Gino as another Hogan sucks chant uh, starts off. And... Uh, Let's go to an audio clip of these guys once again sorting out their interpersonal issues in uh, essentially the main event segment on the show.
4: Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Sting. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Sting, I don't know what's going on with you. You're friends with Luger, you're friends with Hogan, and apparently it doesn't sit well with anybody.
6: We got enough problems around here. Just listen to what's going on, man. I mean, give me a break. Stinger, what's going on with you guys, man? We need to be fighting them, not amongst ourselves.
4: Randy Savage, you know, you you don't mind hanging around with Hulk Hogan. Why would you discourage him from having Lex Luger as a friend?
6: I don't like Lex Luger. In fact, I hate him, all right? Brother, what's going on? Just tell me straight up, man. That's a good right hook you got, but what's the deal?
4: But let's talk about it on national television here, Sting.
5: Listen, last week I hit Hogan, but afterwards I looked into his eyes. I knew he didn't mean it. I shoved my best friend aside and in the heat of the battle and fighting for my life, macho man, I hit you. The arms went up like that. I didn't know where you were coming from, so I started swinging, but let me tell you something. You gotta look into my eyes and know that I wish I could take it back, but I can't. Brother, brother, putting it aside,
6: he just saved my rear end in here, man. He just saved my rear end. And you hit him,
4: Randy. That's we gotta the
3: cool goal. Cool it round.
6: down, man, for self preservation, man. The whole WCW is up and in. I'm on suspension. You guys are in the
0: triangle match. It's flair, man. I'll tell you what, emotions. I always check a guy's eyes
6: to see where they're coming from. And I'm the master of disaster, of overreacting, and I know that it's a fault. But I say we all take a chill pill. And I think, subliminally, all the respect that I have for you is just unbelievable. Me and Hulkster, talk about it. We don't want you to get away from us. I want you to stick with us all the way. Is that cool? That's extremely cool. Brothers, you got to get by the giant, man you got the giant man you might not even be the champion if you don't get your act together next week stinger we need your help man he saved us brother he saved us tonight
4: all right gentlemen i'm sorry we are running short on time you've got your work cut out for you randy savage
6: i've got giant problems but in the same sense we've all got giant problems and let's stick together
4: dig it we got to come back after this All right, this that's it. I thank you very we're much. Gonna, we're going to come back. We're going to go over here, but thank we're come back. Thank you very much. We're going to be back with more we gotta get this. Right straightened after out. this. Yeah, we got to get, get this back. straightened out.
1: Hogan says that they have enough problems, and he goes, just listen to what's going on. And it seems like he's referencing the fact that the crowd are booing him mercilessly right. as a problem that they all have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in response, you can see a uh, torn... Hogan towel get thrown into the ring. (laughs) And it's actually funny because if you look, you can see the uh, perpetrator of this. He's the guy who moments before in a a pretty famous uh, wrestling gif that you can find online. He in the middle of this promo turns towards the camera and holds up his Hogan towel, rips it in half and then angrily throws up a four horseman sign. (laughs) And then it's only like a minute later. That guy's no longer in the shot, but it's only like 15 seconds later that that uh, portion of a towel flies into the ring (laughs) and it's definitely that guy because he is pissed and probably drunk
2: yeah uh yeah so initially hogan amongst his problems he says that he's suspended right uh which you know wouldn't make sense right Uh, uh
1: similar to that sting says that last week he hit hogan which is the opposite of what happened, Hogan actually hit him.
2: (laughs) Ooh, revisionist history. Yeah, so
1: this story is getting a little convoluted to the point where these guys don't know who punched who anymore.
2: (laughs) And there was a part where Hogan wanted to call out Sting, but then he was getting mad because Savage wanted to call out Sting. (laughs) Because if if anyone's going to call out anyone, it's going to be Hogan calling someone out.
1: Sting explains that he hit Macho Man in the heat of the moment because he, quote, didn't know where Macho was coming from. So, uh, Dave, next time we're at a party, I'm just going to punch you right in the mouth and then say, oh, sorry, dude, I didn't know where you were coming
2: from. And then I'll, I'll say, we talked about this the last party. <laughs> Our allegiances were made clear the last party.
1: Uh, Sting wishes that he could take it all back, and Hogan backs him up. Uh, and a very introspective Macho Man admits that overreaction is a personal fault of his. <laughs> and he recommends that they all take a chill pill. <laughs> it's, it's very funny seeing <laughs> Macho Man be like, well, in fairness, overreacting is like my entire thing. <laughs> right. So I'm going to relax and I suggest that we all do the same. <laughs> uh, he also says that he and Hogan are just worried that Sting is slipping away from them. Which is so sweet. It's like, uh, you know, their friend is is Luger is Sting's bad friend who joined a gang, yeah. and now they're worried that Sting is going to join a gang. Yeah. You know,
2: they, they they caught him hanging out on the wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> uh, they're just they're just worried. We're just worried about you, Sting.
1: Macho and Sting uh, try to wrap up the segment by shaking hands, but Hogan really wants that last word. So he completely re-explains all the reasons that Macho Man should trust Sting. (laughs) Even though Macho Man is shaking Sting's hand and saying he's going to trust him.
2: (laughs) Right. Uh,
1: As we go to commercial, Mongo says that we have to get this straightened out, ignoring the fact that we did just get this straightened out. (laughs) After a commercial, uh, we just get the announcers kind of closing out the show. Bischoff plugs uh, the championship match next week between the Giant and Macho Man. Uh, Bobby makes it a two for this week and flicks off the camera while scratching again. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so he he double-dipped on this one. And we are on to you, you you cheeky monkey you. Also,
2: uh, Eric Bischoff corrects Hogan and says he's merely on probation. Right. Not suspended.
1: <laughs> the announcers just kind of blather for a little bit and then things just end. And I, again, uh, you know, we talked last week about the overrun and how I get where it's useful too and it ups your ratings. But if you're going to run over... Have a fucking point to it. Don't run over and then have these guys just sort of talk aimlessly for another 90 seconds. And right. then the show just ends. It was really weird. Uh, in our Raw recap, Owen Hart defeated a very young jobber by the name of Jeff Hardy. Wow. Yeah, really I knew young. the hard- the Hardys had been around for a while as jobbers, but fucking December of 95. Jeff looks 14 years old. <laughs> Uh, Aja Kong defeated Chaparita Asari. So, those are two of their uh, All Japan women that oh, were sure. over for Survivor Series. So, I think before flying home, they just they filmed another match for Raw. Gotcha. Ahmed Johnson defeated a jobber. And Ted DiBiase returned in a segment as the new manager for Psycho Sid and the 1 2 3 Kid. Ooh. And in the main event, Bret Hart defeated Bob Backlund by disqualification when the British Bulldog interfered. Oh. In the ratings, Nitro was the winner for the second week in a row with a 2.6 to Raw's 2.5. In other wrestling news, uh, over on the WWF Action Zone syndicated show, uh, they had said that in addition to being back to manage that tag team, Ted DiBiase would also be bringing back the million-dollar championship to bestow on a brand-new superstar. So uh, I think... Those in the know may already know who that is going to end up being, but we will hold it out as a surprise uh, for everyone else because I believe that they are debuting on Raw next week, and we will definitely take the time to talk about that. But we are a Nitro show, and speaking of Nitro, who was your Nitro MVP of this particular episode?
2: I'm going to give my MVP to Flying Brian Pillman. Um, I felt that he really asserted himself as like an actual player in the Four Horsemen and not like not just a tag along. Um, it was a great promo. He kind of instigated prob- the big one of the bigger angles on the show, and you got a better idea of wh- where his character was going as far as uh, sounding reasonable and kind of going off the deep end and and things like that. So uh, yeah, I gave mine to Brian Pillman.
1: Oh man, this is a tough one because I didn't. There wasn't a lot I liked about this particular episode. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Arn Anderson. I liked uh, him in their match. I think Arn Anderson's always solid, even if maybe he wasn't standing out. He's always doing a great job. He's willing to be in there and put his best moves on a guy who's not going to sell for him. Right. You know. Um. So I'm 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 giving it to the unheralded, uh, workhorse. Yeah. Of the horsemen this week, and I'm giving it to Arn Anderson. Uh, my match of the night. I'm going to go with, uh, kind of by default. Guerrero and Mr. JL. Uh, what about you? Match of the night.
2: Um, I, I, I gave it to the Sting Hogan, Flair Arn match. Uh, again, it's not perfect. Uh, there was a lot of, there's a lot of uh, action in there with Sting and Flair that was really good.
1: And it did have a lot of heat from the crowd. Yes. Which is, I mean, that makes any match automatically a little better.
2: Yeah. And I kind of, I was, I thought I almost gave my MVP to the actual audience because any any t- show even when their t- the show's on TV uh, like wrestling shows on TV that the crowd adds such a great element right and i i feel like this is the first crowd that Nitro had that you remembered that they oh yeah that's right they were the ones that booed hogan so uh, yeah i thought that they did a really good job
1: overall i thought this was a pretty solid episode um, mostly forgettable except for the main event um, which was pretty good but then the segment following the main event was really just a rehashing of the exact same segment from last week. Right. So this one, uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad episode, but it wasn't particularly memorable. And any episode that features Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Lex Luger <laughs> right. gets at least one fuck you from me. <laughs> right. So hey, hey, episode, fuck you. <laughs> uh, what did you think overall of the of the episode as a
2: whole? I think that episode should go fuck itself as well. Alright, well you heard it
1: here Uh, Be sure and check us out Next week we've got a a big episode One of the uh, most important events Of the Monday Night Wars Certainly one of the uh, most important early events uh, Of the Wars is coming up Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you Uh, But it is the opening segment Next week uh, contains a, a pretty big Plot development And we will go over all of that And more next week Where the big boys play Here on 20 Years of Nitro. Terrible
0: menage chez toi in just a little while, but we've got Disco Inferno. Can this man dance, huh? It must be jelly because I've never seen jam cake like that.